When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the Netherlands and Camarillo, California, it is. It's another edition of Marketing Geeks with your hosts, Justin Womack, the Inspirer, and Andro Sturgeon, the guy. (laughs) The guy that goes to Burning Man a lot. In a world filled with podcasts, one podcast, two men will make a difference where others have only failed. I I was going to say two men will also have a podcast. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen. Sure, why not? Live from everywhere, globally, it is... The Marketing Geeks. The Marketing Geeks. <laughs> welcome, 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 everybody. God, I feel inspired. This is just amazing. This. I think I could take over the world. I'm going to start another business today just because of this intro music. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And where, where did we get this intro music? Uh, this intro music comes from AudioJungle.net. It is the free track available for September 2018 on AudioJungle.net. It, it's, a little, uh, that's a good one. I like that it's one. It's a good one, yeah. It's, here's a little life hack for those of you who don't, do not know. Now, one of the things that uh, we geek out about here at Marketing Geeks is the fact that uh, there's a couple of websites that we like to go and platforms you know, that we like to visit because they give out free stuff or they – you know, they, they, and we'll go over these over the next few weeks. But one of our favorites is uh, Audio Jungle, um, which is actually part of the Envato platform. And there you can buy templates and uh, for like After Effects and different sound effects and music. But every month they give out a free track. And this is, we're not getting paid by this. This is just a little thing that we do. We love, we love doing it. So we're sharing it with you. But uh, if you go to Audio Jungle, you can get a free track every month. And that we, we just played was the free track of the month. And a lot of times they're really, it's really good stuff. This one is actually, I like, I like this track. I'll probably use it on something. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's very cinematic. I mean, I, I really enjoy it. And it's a $29 value because uh, actually that's what they would, that's what they charge on the site. Uh, starting in October, it'll be $29 again. So get it now while it's free. Yeah, so if you head on over to audiojungle.com, uh, you know, you can download .net. this, .net. Uh, and they have other ones like Video Hive, they have, uh, and you can download all of them. So every month, 
one of the cool things that uh, we like to do is go over there and get the freebie of the month. And uh, so we recommend that you do that too. And again, we're not endorsed by them. Although if anybody at the Envato company does want to sponsor us, we would not say <laughs> no to that. <laughs> we'll think about it. <laughs> think about it. We may, we know we're, out of our, you know, because we do have seven listeners, and so, uh, you know, everyone's vying for our advertising dollars. So, uh, I was gone last week, uh, and you That's held down right. the fort yeah. by yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I held down the fort by myself. Uh, you know, I had my, my solo rendition episode. It, was, uh, yeah. it wasn't the same. It was, yeah. it was okay. It was, uh, was it, but you know, if I wanted to, was I wanted it to like Garth trying to do wanna... Wayne's World by himself? Is that, it, 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 was, it was a lot like Garth doing Wayne's World, where uh, I'm just sitting there. I'm having a good time not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did have a good time. I was at Burning Man, and uh, I would love to talk about a little bit quickly about uh, Burning Man, the Burning Man Festival, and what what I discovered there. Because one of the things that I love about going to Burning Man every year, this is my 19th year, not in a row. I I missed last year because I was in the process of moving to the Netherlands. And I did uh, miss the year my son was born because he was two weeks away from being born and uh, uh, and his mother was not keen on going to Burning Man and she felt that there was a possibility I could miss his birth, being that by the time I got back it was only one week away. So um, <laughs> when I suggested if Elon Musk owned Burning Man, you would have been fired. Look, I, I told I told her at the time, I said, why don't you just go out to Burning Man with me? And because every doula in the world is probably going to be there and uh, you'll be fine. Right. I mean, if, if you give birth at Burning Man, how cool would that be? And she just it's a legend yeah. legend. She she just looked at me for a long time and said yeah. nothing else. And so I I mean, I got the feeling it sounds that that it sounds great, but I could totally picture the reaction. The reaction wouldn't come out as good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you just had a baby, so uh, how would Laura? I mean, Laura would do that, right? She'd go to Burning Man and have a baby there, right? No? Yeah, totally. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah sure. Why not? That's why you married her. So, uh, <laughs> so okay. So, uh, Burning Man. Uh, first of all, for those who are uninitiated of our, you know, uh, three of the seven listeners who may not know. Burning Man is a uh, giant festival out in the Nevada desert. They build this temporary city. It's the third largest city in all of Nevada when it's built. There's uh, 75,000 people out there, and uh, it is like going to Oz. It is unlike any other experience you will ever have. It started off as a, uh, a small little event where a guy named Larry Harvey, who unfortunately just passed away this year, uh, decided that he was going to have a renewal ceremony. And so he went to a beach in San Francisco and built a little effigy to kind of signify his own renewal of uh, some experiences that he went through. And he burned it and they had a big party. And it was so like fun that they decided to do it again the next following year on the beach. So they, they started going uh, every year and the thing just like doubled in size each year. And so uh, before you knew it, there were hundreds and hundreds of people on the beach, thousands of people on the beach. Finally, the authorities came in, they shut down the event, and so they knew they wanted to keep it going. So they went to uh, the Nevada desert, the Black Rock Desert, which is outside, two hours outside of Reno. It's in a prehistoric lake bed, and uh, it looks like something out of a Salvador Dali painting. It's just completely flat. And what they do every year is they build this temporary city, 
uh, with art and these, you know, building size pieces of art that they burn down to the ground. And at the end of the week, there's a giant effigy of a man, and it's it's several stories high, and uh, they burn it down to the ground. But they also have this temple, and the temple is pretty amazing because during the week, people go in there and they write things on the walls, and they, uh, you know, memorials to past friends who who died or relationships that have fallen apart or uh, things they want to move through, traumas. And, you know, you go in there and it's very cathartic. People are crying and holding each other and meditating. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just really, it's, it gets very personal. And at the very last thing of the week on Sunday night, they burn that to the ground. And uh, whereas the Saturday night burn, when they burn the man, everyone's like yelling and screaming and there's just fireworks and, you know, go online. You can see video of it. It's incredible. Like the, sh it's a spectacle. It's like the biggest spectacle. Explosions. It's like amazing. And then, uh, but the the temple burn is 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 cathartic and quiet. So you have about thirty thousand people who are just silently watching this burning building, while people are are silently crying as they're releasing their trauma. And uh, it, it's a it's it's a spiritual experience. It's very deep. But one of the things that I really love about it, there's a couple of things. Number one, they have never done any type of advertising. The entire thing has been simply by word of mouth. So the way that the festival has grown has been simply by people uh, going to it because of their love for it. Now, in um, in the first year that I went, which was 1997, they were up kind of uh, against a, an existential crisis because the uh, tickets were only $68.00. And they uh, they were running out of money because the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, who issues the permit, raised the cost of the permit. And so after the events, they were actually losing a lot of money and they didn't know what to do because uh, also they, they, they insisted that law enforcement go, which I have mixed feelings about. But uh, they also insisted that the Burning Man organization pay for all the law enforcement. So what they uh, what they they had to raise the ticket prices and they had to figure out what to do uh, to. Keep... So what what do tickets cost nowadays? Well, they're about four hundred and fifty dollars, but they also have like they'll give they'll have gift tickets. They'll have like different um, uh, different levels that you can buy a ticket. So if you want to guarantee your ticket, you can buy a twelve hundred dollar ticket at the like in December, and that way you know you're going to get a ticket. I'm part of a, a camp called Burners Without Borders, and Burners Without Borders is a group of people who they do all sorts of uh, uh, relief for uh, like hurricane relief. They'll go in because if you can build a theme camp in the middle of a raging dust storm, you can also build uh, temporary shelters for people who are in need. So they they uh, it's it's a pretty cool organization uh, in general, just in that. And so the, you have these different theme camps, and sometimes they're the theme camps will revolve around a, maybe a, an art car or a certain theme. Um, now, what has been very interesting about this, and so this this is how this ties into marketing, is that there's been a lot of companies that have uh, decided to uh, give away some of their product or their services. So a couple of things about the Burning Man uh, event. Number one, you cannot sell anything. And the only places, the only things that you can buy, and you're in the middle of the desert, right? You're you're not near any kind of store. You can't buy anything. You just are dealing with what you have. So you can buy ice for four dollars, and you can buy like a big chunk of ice, or you can buy coffee in Center Camp, which costs about three dollars. 
and uh, and that's it. You can't buy anything else. And it's a gift. Coffee game. is it is it like Starbucks coffee or uh, or is it just some like generic coffee? Well, they, there's, that's the thing. You can't brand anything out there. You can't like have a brand. You can't like advertise. You can't say like you can't put up a billboard. So you can't do any kind of promotional thing. So in 1996, uh, when I went, they were up against this existential crisis because they weren't able to afford the event anymore. They were running out of money. And Coca-Cola and Red Bull came in and they said, tell you what, you sell our product in center camp in our Coca-Cola cups and we'll basically pay your bills. And the Burning Man organization basically said we would rather not have there not be a Burning Man. We'd rather kill the event completely than have to deal with that. So because they wanted to keep it pure and keep it word of mouth. So over the years, there has been companies that have done community service. So, for instance, in 2006, I was out there and it was a really, really hot day. And we were thinking, God, we'd love some ice cream. And uh, all of a sudden, we saw a big group of people walking away with uh, ice cream. And so we ran up to where somebody was giving out ice cream, and um, it was an ice cream truck. And they just had little signs that said, like, Chunky Monkey, uh, you know, Wavy Gravy. And it, we were like, oh, my God, are they giving out Ben and Jerry's ice cream? And, <laughs> and Ben and Jerry were out there giving out ice cream just to people for free. And, and and that was really smart because they weren't advertising that they were Ben and Jerry, but they're they're obviously the face of the company, and so to this <laughs> very day, very recognizable, yes, very recognizable, and so are the names of their flavors, and that's all they could put, but they couldn't put a big sign that said Ben and Jerry. But here's the thing, here I am, uh, 12 years later, right, and I'm I am basically talking about Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I am an, an evangelist for that brand because they gave it away for free in the desert 12 years ago, right? And so, cool. yeah, and so so uh, this is this is kind of a common occurrence. So, for instance, there's another camp that they call Foam Against the Machine. And, uh, you know, you, you have to bring out your own shower. So a lot of people don't shower during the week. But they do have a public shower where you can go into this uh, giant uh, camp. Everybody gets naked. There's a DJ in there. This famous artist named Alex Gray is painting – live painting and they put you like in a like in a big booth with a bunch of other naked people and they spray you down with foam and the foam is obviously Dr. Bronner's soap, right? And it used to be called Dr. Bronner's Camp, but they they got rid of the name. Now they name it Foam Against the Machine, but everybody knows what it is. So during the week when you're hot and dusty, you can go get a free foam cleaning with Dr. Bronner's. It's sponsored by Dr. Bronner's, but nobody says that. Um, they also had a gigantic art car that looks like a th cathedral, and if you go online, you can just look up art cars at Burning Man. This thing was immense. It, it, it was a, it was the size of a building, and it looked like a giant cathedral. And that was sponsored by Uber, and everybody knew that, but it, it, at no point was Uber's name ever mentioned. So the the thing that I find extremely satisfying and wonderful about Burning Man itself is that there are companies that go out there and they do. Uh, soft advertising but it's all like word of mouth even the event itself when tickets go on sale it sells out in about 30 minutes like 70,000 tickets instantly and and again this is all word of mouth so um uh that's one aspect of the event that i really like the other aspect of the event that i love is that the people that go out there are the smartest tech people in silicon valley and all over yeah. the world the smartest artists the smartest so uh, like, for instance, the guy that I rode up with was this guy named 
um, uh, Rob uh, Ross, and he is the Silicon Valley player. He lives in San Francisco, and he was like head of business development for Microsoft and uh, part of like all these acquisitions for different uh, companies. And so we talked a lot about kind of marketing and, and uh, you know, tech and blockchain and all this stuff. So it was, it was fascinating to me because, uh, the, you know, the people that you meet are just so incredibly brilliant. And, uh, and, and, and it's like anybody you talk to, you can just suddenly have this conversation about technology or spirituality or um, anything like that. But the, one of the people that I talked to, and this is, again, part of geek, uh, you know, marketing, it was a guy who is, he, he was running a platform that was one of the top advertising platforms on the internet. And their clients were like Tumblr, the Huffington Post. Uh, and so when you go to these websites, those advertisements that show up on these particular websites uh, that feed you kind of targeted advertising, he ran that platform. It was owned by uh, Yahoo, and uh, they changed the name to Oath. And interesting thing, I said, so how's it going? Like, how are you doing with that particular platform now that an ad blocker is basically built into Chrome and you can get all these other extensions and, you know, advertising is really hard? And he goes, well, a few years ago, we were the number one, like we made millions and millions of dollars a month, uh, but we're sunsetting the program. In fact, uh, by the end of next month, I'm out of a job. So this that's leads interesting. To... That's like super. So the the ad blockers have been that disruptive to this market, huh? So that, yeah, that, absolutely. Is that the reason he gave the reason he gave there, was the ad blockers. That was the ad blockers. So 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 that is the fascinating thing where the nature of advertising just in the past few years has completely shifted from uh, targeted advertising, and 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 he was kind of laying out how the platform worked. So, you know, in Facebook advertising where you can like target certain types of demographics down to like income level and, uh, you know, whether or not somebody has just had a baby or anything like this. He said that for now, way, for now, until they change that. But yeah, right, exactly. But he said that the, his platform is like that on steroids. So he can actually get down to so granular that it's like uh, males who are 35 who have a Mercedes Benz, but they're thinking of buying a Lexus, uh, and they also like Justin Bieber, but they only like these songs. Like really, like like way down to the very minute level, and he could feed up the data to uh, these huge companies like Coca-Cola and whatever. But uh, and it was very successful. But they're sunsetting the program. It's like it's not going to exist. So uh, the question then for all of you marketing geeks out there is twofold. Number one, how do you market in this day and age when traditional marketing is literally dying on the vine real time? And number two, how do you create a circumstance like a Burning Man situation where you're giving away a product where you're also marketing? So, yeah. you know, and that's part of that, I mean, the examples you gave, a lot of those, um, part of that is having a strong brand to begin with to be able to pull that stunt off. Uh, and it's not necessarily a stunt, but you know what I mean. Like Ben and Jerry, yeah. if if they were just two random guys giving out ice cream, it wouldn't have the same impact as the fact that okay, well these are like billionaires or million, I don't know, they're high high net worth individuals giving out their ice cream, and we recognize them, we recognize the flavors, so it's it's something we recognize. Whereas if it was just uh, again like a mom and pop ice cream shop doing it, I mean it'd be awesome, but it wouldn't be as memorable because they 
they spent the time and built their brand ahead of time too. So they're they're leveraging yeah. it. So that's um, important here to mention. Right, and so the you know something that Justin and I talk about is the rule of seven, in that it, it takes seven exposures of your brand for it to kind of stick in someone's mind. And so the rule of seven is 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 highly important when it comes to particular marketing because you're right. If it was a mom and pop, and my first experience with this mom and pop was uh, was there serving you know ice cream at Burning Man, I may never run into that brand again, right? So the rule of yeah. seven wouldn't apply. But because Ben and Jerry are the brand and their face is the brand marketing, seeing their face live and in person in front of me is like, oh my God, that's that's them. And so it, it reinforces the branding that I'm already uh, accustomed to. So so the, the and question... The thing that, uh, well, I want to add just one thing. When, yeah. when these when companies go out of their way and do things like this, like good deeds or um, they, they help people, what it also does is it creates... Um, we talked about in that episode on influence, we talked about like reciprocity. So if somebody does something nice for you, it gives you the, you'll have like a sense of guilt if you don't reciprocate in some way. So people are more likely to then share the, share the story. Like they might put it on a podcast, for instance, or they might, uh, they might go and put it on social media. Uh, they're going to, they're going to share that story and it's, it's free marketing. It's going to, it's a, I mean, that's also like the, how you can launch a viral campaign in a lot of ways. I am. I exactly. Would, I would say. Exactly. Yeah. So this is this is like the Tom Shoes thing that that I think I've mentioned before, which is that Tom Shoes, when you go to their website, it, their whole branding is if you buy a pair of shoes, they give a pair of shoes to someone in need, and so so and, and also when you're talking about a lot of millennials uh, these days, the way that they shop and the the types of jobs that they wish to work in, uh, statistics have shown that they want to be part of a cause. It used to be that a company really wanted to be kind of apolitical and take totally. no stance on anything. But now uh, you have to show that you're doing some sort of public good. People want to be part of some sort of movement, right? And now, on that note, uh, on that note, I want to mention something. We'll, we'll come back to, I want to come back to Burning Man, but I, I do want to pause for a second and mention the Nike ad that just got released with Colin Kaepernick. Have you, right. uh, have you seen this? I mean, cause we were talking about cause-based marketing. So you want to talk about um, this is a little bit different in terms of they're actually investing money into a campaign, but they're they're investing a fraction of like a regular campaign into this Colin Kaepernick ad that um, talks about how he I can't remember the, the exact words uh, that that are used, but um, believe in something uh, even if it means yeah, sacrificing it's... everything essentially. Right. Exactly. And, and so so for those of you, just a, a quick Cliff Notes version of the uh, Colin Kaepernick story. Um, he, he spearheaded kind of a movement within the NFL where he started kneeling during the national anthem, not to be disrespectful to the flag, but because he wanted to make a statement about the fact that every day in America, an unarmed black man is shot and killed by the police on average. And uh, very hot button issue. You know, I'm not taking a stance on it either way. I, I'm just saying that, you know, this was a man who decided to uh, exercise his, his First Amendment free speech rights. But, it started. Uh, it started uh, before Trump was even elected, too. So it actually started when Obama was still in office, and it was it was bringing, but uh, bringing awareness to all the uh, yeah the cop shootings and things like that. And that's how it started, and then obviously it, it ballooned into something um, even bigger when um, politicians got involved. And yeah, right. <laughs> and, so, and, and, and although Colin Kaepernick was a was a very good player, and you know was a first round draft pick uh, for several years. Uh, he became so hot that nobody would sign him. So he did, he basically was out 
of the NFL. And uh, so to for Nike to use him as the face of this campaign is very daring because they knew that it would be like a hot button issue. But they I mean, somewhere somebody did the market research and they ran the numbers and they said, well, we're going to lose some people, but we're also going to gain some people. And they wouldn't have done it if they felt that it, it wasn't going to give them some sort of boost on some level in the long run. Um, but what's funny is like people, you know, people started burning their Nike shoes in protest and, and putting that up. But what's funny about that is even when someone is burning their Nike shoes in protest, and this is probably something that they thought about when they ran this campaign, people are going to do that. You are still advertising for Nike, right? Because as so the flames true. are coming off the shoes, there's like the Nike logo, well, and it's still advertising. It depends it's on still, your belief you know, system on that, but I, I am a believer. Like, yeah, there's no such thing as bad press in a lot of ways because you're getting the exposure over and over and over again. Rule of seven again, right? Uh, and so right. they did a they did some research already and said in in the 24 hours since they launched this campaign, which is like Monday or Tuesday of this week. Nike has gotten $43 million worth of media exposure in less than 24 hours of launching it. So they, they calculated that the, right. the value of the media was $43 million uh, and on a campaign that probably cost them like $1 million or, uh, you know, I'm sure a fraction of that to, to get a launch. Right. And so and that's the point, right? So it's like it's like somebody, they, you know, and, and I used to work in market research and so we would run focus groups. So, I mean, they obviously ran some focus groups. They like you know, held up like the ads before they ran. They asked a bunch of people, they did the numbers. They like, you know, there was a lot of math involved, but, but at the end of the day, Nike said, well, you know what, we're going to lose some people, but we're going to also gain a lot in notoriety. And we're going to gain a lot in like people who we're going to lose people, but we're going to also gain a lot. They'll they'll gain some people that are uh, political that may not otherwise buy Nike gear will probably come on board to support because it's like a cause now. And yeah, and they're definitely going to lose, um, they're definitely going to lose some people that believe that it's a disrespect to the flag in the military. So that, that crowd that has that belief system is definitely going to be, um, well, they're going to lose some of them and some of them will probably just keep buying the product anyway. So I'm sure they did their research. People who are like, you know what? Right. And there's going to be also other people who are going to be like, you know what, because Nike made a stand, I'm going to buy some Nike products. And, and so so, you know, they again, they weigh that out. But what this comes down to is, is a couple of things. Number one, um, it's about the idea of how advertising, which when we when I was growing up and I would watch Saturday morning cartoons and eat sugar cereal until, you know, my Captain Crunch made stalactites of flesh hang down from the roof of my mouth. Uh, and I would be advertised over and over with uh, McDonald's commercials. And by noon, I just wanted McDonald's because I had been inundated with McDonald's commercials. The McDonald's commercials were better produced than the cartoons I was watching. This was in the 70s, right? Uh, and nowadays, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching my son right now. You hear him laughing? He's, he's watching uh, Netflix. He doesn't watch commercials. In fact, when he watches YouTube, sometimes I mean I'm not I don't put him in front of a tablet all the time. We're going to go to a museum later today. Um, but uh, but when he watches uh, something on YouTube and there's an ad, he knows to watch for that countdown three, two, one, and he hits skip ad. The kid isn't he's three. He's three years old, right? And he knows to skip ads. He doesn't watch any advertising. So a whole new generation of people with ad blockers. And with, uh, you know, the ability to skip advertising and not not watch any kind of advertising at all, they are not growing up with traditional advertising. So then the question is, 
how do you reach people in a way that that do your marketing in a way that that has a message will alienate people but will also bring clients or you gift something in a way like Ben and Jerry did at Burning Man or you create the most epic art car in the world and when you get on you hear through the grapevine that it's done by Uber so then next time you take an Uber it's like oh I rode on that giant mm -hmm. Uber art car right so so just watching how everything is shifting in the marketplace marketing in general really comes down to how your business tells its story and so this is something that that uh, Justin and I are extremely passionate about which is the storytelling aspect of business if you don't really tell your story with your business or or tell a story for your clients if you're a marketer uh, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna make it because traditional Facebook advertising, especially as Facebook loses uh, market share. I mean, they're yeah, they, they're, they're very like uh, this danger of them being uh, subject to regulation now too. I mean, because Congress has been rumored to, to right. be stepping in. I mean, that's not just them; all social media platforms. Um, but that's uh, that's also potentially down the pipeline. But I wanted to just add one thing about the um, the advertising stuff here. And that's that, like we mentioned before, companies are being a little bit bolder this day and age, and they are taking political stands. And, and part of that, in my theory, is that uh, it's, it's harder now to be like a brand that reaches everybody. And I think because the mediums are changing. So we don't like television doesn't, you know, you can't just advertise on television as, as easy as it used to be. Um, because I mean, people aren't watching TV as much or they're skipping ads and ad blockers are out there. So now, I think what's happening is companies are realizing that they're going to have to segment down. So they're going to have to take their brands and segment right. and, and by taking a stand on something that's a hot, like a hot political issue. Yeah. They're going to alienate a big, uh, a big chunk of people, but they're also going to strengthen relationships with the ones that stand behind it. And they're going to bring a different section on. And I think, I think the, what we're seeing is a trend where the, the big brand that again appeals to, to every tries to sell to everybody. They try to sell their product to everyone. Is a uh, is a thing that's slowly going away. So companies like Coke, McDonald's, uh, a lot of them they're not as powerful as they were, you know, ten even ten years ago, twenty years ago. Um, right. So, and it's got to be. It's also got to be authentic because if you remember, um, good point you know, for those of you who don't remember. Uh, Chloe, Chloe, there was uh, one of the the, with the young Kardashian, <laughs> but uh, one sure. of the Kardashians. The, the, uh, but she, they, they did an, uh, I think it was uh, Pepsi did an advertising uh, spot with her, where she was modeling, and then all of a sudden there's like a big protest going on outside, and she like became part of this movement, and it was, it it <laughs> it, it, it happened at the in the middle of like uh, the. Um, uh, during um, it wasn't Occupy, but it was it was like the Me Too movements were starting, and so uh, it was this inauthentic ad where she became part of this movement. But the movement wasn't really stated; it was just kind of like <laughs> showing that people were in the streets standing for something. Pepsi, right? And it was it was it 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 backfired so badly because it it just felt contrived, right? So the thing is, is that uh, as you said. You got to make a stand, but it's got to be for something real. You can't just like have some fake marketing thing where you're like, "Yes, we're behind." You know, you've got to really like do something. And so the the trends now, I mean, especially with like Me Too movements and um, the you know the NFL kneeling and uh, these sort of things, the trend now is to, for companies to really have to make a stand about 
where they are and integrate it into their story. Otherwise, um, you know, we're you're you're lost. One of the things that I talk about is like with Chipotle. When I do my public talks, I talk about how I used to mention the word Chipotle versus McDonald's, and people would say with Chipotle, "Oh, well, that stands for healthy food. It stands for like locally sourced. It stands for." You know, that was part of their stories until people started getting sick from that food. And now E. coli is part of their story and they can't shake it. Right. So you got to be very careful about how you you tell your story, because there can also be uh, a lot of things that backfire. I mean, say what you will about um, our current uh, president in the United States. Uh, but one thing he's good at is playing the story to his base, right? And he's good and, at he's good at organic marketing because every time he tweets, like somebody writes a story about it. So, <laughs> right, yeah. exactly, exactly. And so, so and that's how you know he was able to run for president without spending any money whatsoever, really, because people were hanging on to every word. And just as like someone burning Nike shoes is really an advertisement for Nike, uh, him saying something that is is like sparking a controversy. Uh, is also people just talking about it. And even, I mean, but also Sometimes, like think about like Colin Kaepernick, the person as like his own personal brand too. I mean, he was he was a, a very good NFL player. He was a starting quarterback for a, a time, but he was never he hadn't won a Super Bowl. He wasn't um, he may you know he may have gone on and won some, and I mean that's nobody knows. But um, but his you know taking a stand for him has like completely changed his profile. He's now looked at, um, and I, I heard some quotes of people comparing him to Muhammad Ali. And he's now like a, looked at as a civil rights leader. He's on the cover of time magazine when, um, when he started doing the protest, He'll, um, and he's, he's very much compared to these big civil rights leaders now. And, and that was, um, in a lot of ways, I mean, organic, I mean, we get, if we want to talk about personal branding, but organic marketing, I mean, he, he created this entire brand for himself uh, through his protest. That's right, so. and had to pivot pivot his career. So, so what this means for you uh, out there in business land and marketing land is that when you move forward with marketing campaigns, it can't just be about advertising. It's got to be about making a statement and telling a story. And and as we move forward further into the 21st century. All companies are going to have to consider this in their yeah. marketing. So, for instance, when I now when I work with clients, when before it was just like, all right, we'll set up an, a Facebook advertising campaign, we'll run some Google AdWords for you, and you know, blah 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 blah, you know, easy peasy, get to your market segments, just put an advertisement in front of them a bunch of times. Now it is, we need to attract someone with the story that you tell and how you tell it, and so. You know, this takes a lot more creativity and a lot more thought uh, with that. And, it, it, and I don't think it has to uh, – it, it doesn't have to be like on a hot-button political issue. But yes, but you have to tell a story and you have to, you have to segment down. So you can't uh, – I think so many people because, I mean, you know, you and I have met with lots of clients over the years. Uh, will always – they'll always say that, you know, I don't want to alienate people. I want to I reach everyone with my message. But the, but the reality is this is this is – shifting faster than I even thought before, but that's not going to work um, at all soon. It's, it still works a little bit that if you, if you put down a, a message that's trying to reach everyone, it'll be watered down and won't be as powerful. It could still work a little bit, but as, as the climate shifts here, as the, uh, and as the young generation becomes older and uh, has more of the buying power, 
it's it's going to be that you have to segment down. Now you don't have to again, you don't have to take a hot button political stance necessarily, but you have to take a stance on some key issues, and you have to alienate some of your base um, in order to deepen the relationship with the ones you care about. And that's uh, that's a big changing landscape. I, I believe. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So you know, if you have any questions about this, you can always connect with us on LinkedIn, and and we'll be happy to, uh, you know, just. Uh, you know, ask us a question. We love just to answer them. I think yeah. we'll answer them. We we will answer them <laughs> definitely, definitely. So that's um, what we'll do. Anyway, uh, guess what? Oh, you know what that is. All right, all right. It's time for the Marketing Geeks Sex Robot Report. Oh, uh, Sex Robot. <laughs> Get ready for it. Get ready. All right. Well, I like that little Sex. horn there. Yeah. yeah. You know what's happening there, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on, robot. All right. <laughs> what do you got for us? What do you got for us? All right. This is from the Daily Star in the UK. Uh, headline, Sex Robot Boom Driven by Social Media Fueled Loneliness Reveals Internet Porn Boss. So sex robots' popularity is being driven by social media-fueled loneliness as people become increasingly isolated. And the internet, this one internet porn boss reveals, how do you become an internet porn boss? And does that say that on your business card? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I want to know, like, you know, Patrick Garcia, internet porn boss. You know, if you're gonna, I'd love to be quoted on this article, but if you're going to interview me, just make sure to cite me as the internet porn giant. <laughs> I, 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 I honestly, like, I would put that on, as the name on my door. Like, if someone comes in, just internet porn boss. Like, that's a, that, how, do you, how do I get that job? So, um, all right. Sex dolls are increasingly sophisticated. Sex robots are booming in popularity with brothels popping up all around the world. We talked about that uh, in our sex robot report a couple weeks ago. And last week, Daily Star Online revealed that the world's first sex robot porn film has now been released <laughs> really that's wow i'm uh i'm intrigued rule, rule 47 <laughs> is, it on, is it on netflix yet <laughs> i don't know rule 47 of the internet folks and if you don't know what that is just google it patrick garcia head of development at the internet uh porn giant weighed on the rise of sex robots he internet that he porn be- giant internet porn giant is what it is. I, w- I want that <laughs> on my card <laughs> he revealed that he believes loneliness driven by social media is fueled, fueling the desire for sex robots when speaking to the Daily Star Online. The porn boss added that he believes sex robots will also help cater the rise of niche sexual desires. Uh, so this is kind of interesting. Yeah. First of all, first of all, like uh, you know, we are becoming kind of more isolated due to uh, the rise of. Can I, can I say though? Isn't isn't sex with a Sex robot kind of already a niche. <laughs> Isn't that already a niche thing? That's, or that's we're going to get more. We're going to niche down even more. We're going to get some handcuffs involved and whatever else happens. You know, look, <laughs> if, now, now, here's the interesting thing that I wonder about. And this is like, like honestly, there's a couple of uh, sort of byproducts of having a sex robot culture. Number one, if you have a sex robot who basically has an AI algorithm in there that responds to your particular flavor of whatever right it's like whatever your little kink is your sex robot will respond exactly the way that you want and learn from your uh wants and desires uh that means that that you have and as the technology gets better and better 
you have a sexual partner that is absolutely perfect for you in every single way. And there is going to be a, uh, I guarantee you, there's going to be a mental condition that people are going to suffer from that will be basically men, I, I, I assume it's going to be mostly men, some women, who will not be able to relate to real women because they have been, like, their brains have been rewired because of, of sexual you know, if there's not one, I mean, who uh, who writes like the mental disorders? Because I, I mean, they have the DSM, right? The Diagnostic yeah. and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. Now, who um, who decides like what is one? Because we should write to them and we should get ahead of this, and maybe we can uh, maybe we can brand it too. Like <laughs> maybe you know, maybe we can have like a support group, or uh, I don't know, maybe. I don't know. I, yeah, we should get know, ahead listen, of it. I, we got to get ahead of it. This is good. I, this is good. All I know is that that I I am in the wrong business. I got to get out of marketing and get into the sex robot industry because uh, that's where the money is. That's where the money's going to be. And uh, I, now, uh, I have, does virtual reality play? Is that at all worrisome about the sex robot market? That that virtual reality could be so realistic that um, it would that sex robots would just be too expensive and obsolete. Is that a future well, that I, you are worried I about? Actually, to tell you the truth, I think that there's going to be a combination of augmented reality uh, and sex robot tech. So basically you could have like a torso, right? And instead of like the, the, the robot looking like, uh, you know, kind of a stunned mannequin, uh, you can like project <laughs> – you could project a uh, – because I, I mean – you know, there is somebody. So is it there. just a torso, though? So, like, if somebody came into the room while it was happening, it would just be like. And a when torso you say that came into the room, you mean <laughs> came into the room? Uh, I'll let you decide what I meant there. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, basically, basically, if you have a torso, you could project like Scarlett Johansson with augmented reality onto the torso, and uh, you know, that's probably what I see more as the future being, because then you can like, you know, reskin it, kind of, and and and. There'd be companies that will basically sell these 3D sort of projection will be, models. Will there be like actresses that sell the rights to their uh, likeness Absolutely. for big, big Absolutely. money? Hmm. Well, let me tell you something. Scarlett like, Johansson, like, I will sell my likeness, and and for every like projection onto a, a sex robot, augmented reality projection, royalties. I get royalties. Like a you know a, a thousand bucks or whatever. Uh, Yes, there will be people like I would do that. I'm sure people. I mean, I couldn't sell for thousands. Do I don't like, know how many women are going to be buying that one, but I'm, I'm I, glad. I, to know. I would sell mine. I would sell mine for forty nine ninety nine. And when I say forty nine ninety nine, I mean forty nine cents. <laughs> Rounds it up to fifty cents. And ninety nine like micro pennies. <laughs> That's right. And you know, in Bitcoin. So uh, anyway, I, I, it is kind of interesting, and I, I do think that as people become more isolated, this technology will be, uh, you know. But uh, that said, we also have Tinder, which is really interesting because it's uh, it's gamified, naughty <laughs> it's a time. different form of. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that. Because it gamified, gamified, naughty yeah, time. Gamified, like naughty time. That is the name. Hat. Was another edition of the Sex Robot oh, Report yeah. on Murky. That's right. Mama, mama. Slow it down. Yeah, yeah. there we go. All right. Join us again next week, folks, when we have another episode of Marketing Geeks with the Sex Robot Report. <laughs> that was fun. So-
Yeah. So um, other news, uh, uh, marketing news, kind of interesting. Amazon, uh, this is from Marketing Land, Amazon streamlines ad products under a new Amazon advertising brand. So what they're doing is they're, uh, you know, they had all these different sort of segmented uh, Amazon advertising platforms, AMS, AMG, uh, AAP. And, uh, you know, that was the Amazon Media Group. That was the Amazon Marketing Services. And that was the Amazon advertising platform. And they're going to retire all of those. And they're basically bringing it under the new, uh, what they're calling the Amazon advertising platform, uh, which is called the DSP. So uh, it's interesting because we talked about how people are bailing from Facebook. I mean, I personally uh, have stopped contributing any sort of data to Facebook whatsoever. I'm not posting anything anymore, and I'm not alone. There's a lot of people who are now not doing as much Facebooking as they used to. So if Facebook doesn't get as many eyeballs, they're losing market share with their advertising. And, of course, Amazon sees a huge uh, – opportunity here so they're reformatting their advertising platform so they can take some of that market share yeah i think uh, i think there's a big opportunity for them because everybody's shopping on amazon these days um and i mean i don't know what kind of ads they're showing now but if they if they open up that market um, I think that's a huge opportunity, and they smell blood in the water with Facebook because Facebook is yeah. a wounded animal right now. They're a wounded animal. That's right. That's right. <laughs> which, which is uh, also a sex robot that I'd like to invent. <laughs> the Facebook <laughs> wounded animal. <laughs> that's right. Someone out there will buy it. I'm telling you. Um, so, so, uh, so yeah. other one other marketing story before um, was that Elon Musk went on the Joe Rogan podcast on like Monday of this week or Tuesday. I don't know, yeah. a few days ago. And uh, he was at Burning he, Man, by the way. He, he was, was at Burning Man first. Okay. Yeah. So he came. He, he's probably still a little bit high. Also, I don't know. This is <laughs> why he smoked a joint on the Joe Rogan program because he so was just. I, I heard. He, yeah, he smoked a joint, and then there's some controversy that he didn't inhale, and it was like. People were ripping him for not inhaling. It was like the opposite of the Bill Clinton controversy where people were, you know, uh, he had to save face by not inhaling. Now, uh, he, now he's taking heat because he didn't inhale potentially. Uh, but the, but apparently the backlash of, of – well, I mean, he's had his problems recently. So uh, Elon's had – he's had some run-ins with uh, his company and shareholders and the media. But apparently the COO of Tesla um, resigned this week following that interview. And I don't know if that was a direct result or if that was coincidental timing or if they, you know, if the two were related or not. But the COO of Tesla dropped out and then Tesla stock took like a 6, uh, 6% hit, I think, and it recovered a little bit after that. Well, but, it, it's also been dropping. Now, this is interesting. Going back to like the story that you tell of your business, you know, uh, Tesla, uh, you know, Elon Musk, a lot of his uh, – what he does is kind of smoke and mirrors and there's uh, because he'll, he'll talk about like colonizing Mars, but uh, you know, that's probably never going to happen. However, it is good advertising for uh, his brand. And he's one of the only billionaires who's actually trying to do something kind of innovative and interesting. It tells However, a story of, of, yeah, of somebody that's, they have big vision. It tells a story of a gigantic right. vision, right? I mean, that's what I, I see. Right. And, and like the Tesla um, and creating like the electronic cars, like everywhere. I mean, big vision. Yeah, he does have amazing big vision, but sometimes it can backfire. And one of the things that, that happened, if you haven't followed this story, which is kind of interesting, when, the, when those Thai boys were stuck in that uh, cave in, in Thailand, uh, what he did was he immediately got his crew to 
come up with this small uh, small submarine that he felt could go in and rescue those boys. Now, a, a, a lot of people felt that that was kind of a marketing ploy, that it was just him, uh, that, that the idea wasn't really that valid, but it was a way for him to kind of get his brand out there and, um, you know, have a uh, have some some sort of uh, show that that Tesla is like this innovative company, and one of the rescuers uh, went on Twitter and basically criticized him for using it as a market ploy. So what what Elon Musk did in a moment of anger was he accused this guy of being a pedophile. Uh, now he's like doubled that, down on he like doubled down on it again recently. <laughs> yeah, and and that was actually one of the things that that I mean it was dumb of him because. He got a lot of flack for that, and I got to admit, like, I don't know, you know, the guy that he's referring to. I have no idea. Nobody has, has any idea what this guy does in his. In, in his yeah, I don't even life. know who he is. So yeah, I don't know if it's true or but, not true, but don't even know who the guy but is. But we do know that that he was trying to rescue some kids who were stuck in in a cave, and for Elon Musk to kind of be butthurt about this and then say, "Oh, well, you're a pedophile," it didn't really shine well on him. And and that was actually one of the things that made the uh, the, the stocks fall when he did that. So it, it also goes to show you that if you're going to have a feud with someone on the internet, you gotta, there's going to be repercussions. And sometimes choose a less you know, uh, a less sympathetic figure than the guy that just rescued a bunch of kids from a cave. <laughs> right, right. If you're going to call someone a pedophile, maybe you should actually accuse a pedophile and instead <laughs> yeah. of like a guy who's rescuing children you know uh so it's just it's just kind of funny that that because everyone was riveted to that story like everybody was like following it on a daily basis and if one of the heroes of that story you're suddenly accusing uh without due cause that may reflect badly on you so um just kind of interesting that that elon Musk. It feels like on some level he's kind of going off the rails a little bit. It, it does um, a little bit, but you never know because a lot of brilliant people have these little incidents. But yeah, maybe he maybe he will go like full Howard Hughes and he'll uh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Well, one thing it'll he'll do it publicly and it'll certainly be fun to watch. Yes, <laughs> but, I mean he's going on Joe Rogan and drinking whiskey and smoking weed on the uh, on video is a pretty interesting choice. In the midst well, of what's already going on. But, 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 hold on one second. I, I, I will. Can you give me about 10 minutes? I'm almost done with the podcast. And then if, if you're quiet for just a few more minutes, I will get you a piggy candy. Is that a deal? Can we shake on it? All right. Good job, buddy. He's such a good kid. I love him. I love him. Um, so, uh, so we're gonna wrap up here because it sounds like I have to go get um, my little man some piggy candies. But uh, the fir <laughs> the first thing I and and he already had breakfast, so I'm not irresponsible um, on that level. Uh, but um, uh, I would like to uh, pivot just a little bit and talk about a movie that I saw when I was on the airplane because I had to fly uh, all the way to America from the Netherlands to go to Burning Man. And I was finally able to see Solo, which was on the uh, <laughs> Sorry to hear that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, okay, so shall we do our review of Solo? Yeah, let's, let's go into it. Cause, and, okay, warning. Okay. The following review will contain spoilers. Viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> all right. 
That was the, I don't know what that sound was. It was the That's good. That was that review. That was a spoiler full. That was a spoiler full review. We're allowed to spoil now. Yeah. Feel free. Okay, so first of all, first of all, uh, Star Wars to me when I was a kid was it. Like I my dad wrote Star Trek, but I was a Star Wars fan. Like I every I had the Star Wars sheets, I had the toys, I had the whole bit. Uh, I was I had one of the first Star Wars toys ever. Like I it was I wish I had hung on to it. It'd be worth a lot of money now. But uh, but the the thing that Disney Disney made this mistake. So they they went into this uh, to the Star Wars universe with like, well, we already have the Star Wars universe. We have it right. They bought it for four billion dollars, which looking back at it, that was probably a deal. Uh, and they were thinking this is already set up the way that the way we spent you know years setting up the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in my mind, is awesome. I mean, they're, even the worst of those movies is still highly entertaining. Yeah. And, and so I think that there was this kind of thought that, like, we can just make pretty much anything and people will watch it. If we, if we film, uh, you know, two hours of George Lucas taking a dump on R2-D2's head, people will spend money to see that movie, right? And um, what they ended up doing was they made uh, The Force Awakens, which I felt was slightly contrived. And, uh, and, and we, we talked about this a few weeks it's ago. It's a where... soft reboot of um, A New Hope, which was the original Star Wars from 1977. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan of The Force Awakens, but it was, I'm not also that anti it. It didn't really render like a very strong emotional reaction either way. It was good, yeah. but nothing. it wasn't like special, but it was good. So. Right, and the, and the biggest problem I had with it, and I'll, I'll repeat myself, is that that here you have you know the ability to put Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and Han Solo in a film uh, together with Chewbacca and get the gang back together. That's who we want to see, and you don't do it. You kill off Han Solo. And just recently in an interview, uh, Mark Hamill was like, "I don't even know what Luke Skywalker's story is anymore." Right? That's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. Well, I, I but yeah, The Force Awakens, the reason that it didn't bother me as much was because there were still two more movies left. Yeah, Han Solo yeah, did die in that one, but there were still two more movies left. So it's like, okay, well, Luke Skywalker is going to have an awesome arc. They can still get Leia and Luke together, like Luke and R2-D2 and, you know, have all these adventures still. So there's still hope, but uh, yeah, right. and, that's still so a big Disney, opportunity. Yeah, and so, so what happened was Disney saw dollar signs. They didn't see like... How are we going to serve the fans best? So this is going back to what we were originally talking about at the top of this podcast is story first, right? So if you're going to make a trilogy, don't just like throw stuff out there thinking like, well, we just got to make Star Wars stuff, right? Because that's what fans want to see. No, Star Wars fans want to see Star Wars movies that tell good stories. And they didn't, they dropped the ball on that. So one of the things that they were thinking of is like, well, we're going to make a bunch of other movies outside of the trilogy. So we're going to have one Star Wars movie a year because, you know, if we're releasing, you know, two to three MCU movies a year, people will see one Star Wars movie a year. Well, that's not necessarily the case because Solo. Okay. So for as far as a Star Wars movie goes, it was okay. As far as a Han Solo movie goes... It really wasn't that fantastic, and <laughs> it felt like you know they had trouble with that movie from the very beginning because they hired the 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 brains behind the, the uh, Lego movie, the Lego movie, Phil Lord and um, the other guy. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Phil Lord, the other guy. Yeah, and they they fired them how like when the movie was almost done, uh, and they hired Ron Howard to finish the movie off, but it was a mess. It was like 
you know, like there was a, a whole sequence that took place on this. It was like a train heist where they're like, you know, they've got spaceships. Why do you need a train? <laughs> I don't understand this, right? And 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 it, you know, and the for Lando... some reason, like, and for some reason, what's her name, uh, Thandie Newton, like, feels the need to sacrifice her life at the end of that heist. There's a lot of like weird things going on. <laughs> yeah, and it's got to be the black woman, right? Of course. Yeah, of like, course, come on yeah. now. Uh, but but <laughs> but the problem, the the main problem with this movie is that it it felt like they were setting up part one of a trilogy, which they were, right? So it felt like they left a lot of open things so they could tie it in later. And uh, it, it, it felt like what they call in Hollywood a horrors movie, where if you have a movie that does really well, then they'll come up with a sequel just because they'll come up with a sequel. Or we've seen this before. They make a movie that they are, assume is going to do well. So they go, this is part one of a trilogy. Right? <clears throat> Justice League. <clears throat> Right. And, and so so it was like it, they didn't really care about the fans. They cared about, like, how can we squeeze as much money out of this thing as possible? The, and the, 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 the true Star Wars fans, I think, smelled this a mile away. And so a lot of people just stayed away from this movie. And so because of the backlash from The Last Jedi and because of the poor box office performance of Solo, um, all these other Star Wars projects that they had planned – They've scrapped. Even the Rain Johnson trilogy, I hear, is going to get scrapped now. The uh, Obi Wan Kenobi movie has been scrapped. well, at least on hold. I don't know if they're all. I don't know if they're fully scrapped, but they're all on hold. They're, so. they're scrapped. They're scrapped. They're, they're, they're not probably scrapped forward. unless Episode Nine like crushes it. Then uh, that's the only one that's really in production right now, and they're. I think they're filming it currently. Episode Nine. Right. And so what they're what they're going to do is um, uh, they're going to wait and see what the um, uh, what what the box office performance of this final trilogy uh, movie is going to be. And if it tanks, I have a feeling Star Wars is going to be put on ice for just a little while because, you know, they're building that huge theme park. And, you know, it's a, if, if they if they kill that trilogy out of sheer neglect of really focusing on the fans, if J.J. Abrams cannot fix the trilogy that he helped break, uh man that's that's gonna be sad that's yeah i mean there's so much money in the merchandise and in the uh in yeah in the brand that yeah they can't afford to damage it through the movies so they you know if the movies are doing damage and not helping then that's a that's very tragic when you invest four billion dollars in something right i mean they made their money back obviously and they're they're doing fine i mean even with the backlash they're still i'm not worried about disney but yeah. but it could be doing better, and they uh, they've made some mistakes along the way. So hopefully they learn from them. Yeah, and I, I I think it's it's just one of these things where again it's like they felt oh we can just do pretty much anything and we're going to make money, and really it's like no we as a public want to have a good story. We need and to have a good story. I think one of the cheap things they did in this movie in Solo was that the ending, right? Where they have this like twist ending. And again, spoiler alert, uh, they they bring up for some reason, I don't really remember the movie that well, but somebody's boss was Darth Maul, who was from episode one. He's a character from episode one that got his body chopped in half in episode one and fell down like a endless pit. But somehow he survived that. And now, uh, and I didn't even realize this from the, from the movie, but I've, I've reading stuff online afterwards. I guess he has robot legs now. And there's actually uh, on 
on the internet today, there's some action figure of the of the solo version of Darth Maul that's being uh, promoted right now. They show the robot legs, so you can if you Google it, you'll see the the Darth Maul with the robot legs. But that was like the evidence right there that this was their idea was they're going to make like a trilogy out of the, out of Han Solo movies, and it just it just showed you that they were they were thinking ahead. They weren't taking it one movie at a time. They weren't focused on the fans. They were everything was about dollars and cents, right. And so, you know, and the toys that we can sell. Let's sell the Darth like, Everybody loved Darth Maul. Let's bring him back. And Everybody already uh, has a Darth Maul action figure from episode one, but now they need the robot legs edition. Yeah. And you know what? Look, if you have a, a fantastic character and you kill it off and it's like, you know, I mean, we don't need to see a Boba Fett origin story. We don't. It's like part of the mystique was that he. we don't know who that character is behind the mask. And, and once you kind of show that, you, you have that, uh, you know, mystique, and then you kill that mystique, it kills the entire thing. Now, there is one exception. <laughs> I want a this. scene where Boba Fett is in, you know, he's, he's getting like a shake, and it's like a Boba shake, and they, he doesn't have a name. He's like a, I don't know, he's an orphan or something, and they're like, oh, he likes Boba. Let's call him Boba. <laughs> That's right. You're referring to, in, in the movie Han Solo, when, when he just had the name Han, <laughs> and he was uh, signing up to fight in the Imperial Army for a moment. Yeah. He, uh, at the airport. Said, la- the guy asked him, "Is like, do you have a last name? And he goes, uh, no, I don't have any family or anything. He goes, all right, so you're Solo. Han Solo. Because <laughs> like, we really, needed that. We really needed you know, a backstory like, for the name. We couldn't just accept that it's his name. <laughs> like, that was just – but now, now, however, I am going to the biggest geek news that I haven't touched yet. This is the biggest geek news oh, ever. Oh, I this can't wait. Yes. Oh, yeah. That I was, when I heard this, I was like, hell yes! And I like stood up on my chair. I'm standing up on my chair right now. I'm jumping on the couch like Tom Cruise. Um, uh, one fantastic science fiction character that they're bringing back, Jean-Luc Picard. Patrick Stewart is coming back in a new Star Wars series as Jean-Luc Picard. Hell yeah! I'm on the couch. I'm jumping up and down. I'm on Oprah. Uh, so that to me is like, folks, uh, I cannot wait. We'll have more stories about that uh, as that develops. I really, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna see if I can get some people who are involved in marketing uh, around that on the show. We're gonna. But are they bringing back Brett Spiner as Data? Are they bringing him back? I don't know, but there was a photo uh, recently taken of the old cast, kind of. All together and uh, hanging out. How they look in these days? Well, they're looking. Patrick Stewart, you know, he was bald at a young age. That helps. Uh, that helps him age less later on. Yeah, Patrick Stewart still looks like Patrick Stewart, no matter how you slice it. Yeah. So you know, he's he's uh, he's Patrick Stewart. But uh, um, anyway, that uh, we'll have more developments as that uh, unfolds. We're going to get some guests Stay on tuned. in the next few weeks. Next week, we'll. Uh, what are we going to talk about next week? Do we have any? Uh, it's a it's a secret. It's, We're going to talk about how secrecy is very important in marketing. That's right. That's right. And um, <laughs> and we're also going to uh, – uh, big news. We are planning another uh, webinar for all you folks out there. Uh, and we that's a secret thing, but we want to invite all seven listeners to come and check out that webinar. And uh, if you have any questions for us, feel free to connect with uh, me, Andre Sturgeon, and Justin Womack on LinkedIn. Or email, us at, uh, or email us at realmarketinggeeks at gmail.com. So realmarketinggeeks at gmail.com. Just go ahead and email us there. That's our, uh, dedicated, that's our dedicated line for the fans of this show. 
And we're building a website. So that's like super uh, prestige. Yeah, so we're going to build a website where all the shows will be archived and uh, they'll be posted. It's not ready yet. Uh, I, yeah, I've been we've gone as far as purchasing the domain. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I had I had a Burning Man uh, conference. Yeah, you're busy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's right. So that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes another episode of Marketing Geeks. In a time when marketing is in trouble. In a world filled with bad advertising and people who don't know what they're doing, two men will rise. Marketing. Put your emotions out there. All your love, all your hate, everything you've got, just put it on the line because we believe in a cause. We believe in marketing. That's what we stand for. That's who we are. We are marketers. Marketing Geeks We are one In this world Alright, Mini Geek I am Marketing Mini Geek, say goodbye Say goodbye to the people out there Bye-bye I am a marketer I love you I love you Oh, I love you (laughs) Alright, everybody From the Netherlands Alright, everyone Andra Sturton Stay classy Stay classy do it, just do it, stay close. Yeah, way to go. Good show, good show, yeah.